don't know, sir. They must have hyperjets on that thing. And what do we got on this thing? A Cuisinart? No, sir. We'll find them, catch them. Yes, sir. Prepare ship for light speed. No, 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 light speed is too slow. Light speed too slow? Yes, we're gonna have to go right to ludicrous speed. <gasps> ludicrous speed? Sir, we've never gone that fast before. I don't know if the ship can take it. What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Chicken? Hey there, and welcome to episode seven of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. This week we are very pleased to be discussing John Lehman and Rob Gilroy's comic Chew, uh, Volume 1, Taster's Choice. We're joined by uh, some of the usual suspects this week, uh, Todd, Q, and Adam. As always, if you like what you hear um, and you haven't already, please like us on Facebook, Instagram, follow us on Twitter. We now have a Tumblr. I uh, put a few things up on there. All the drinks in this episode, their lovely recipes have been posted on our website, www.funnybooksandfirewater.com. Uh, go to the blog section and you will find all of our recipes. They're also sorted by which uh, member of the panel suggested them. So if you have a favorite panel member, um, not that we're playing favorites, but if you are, uh, you can find all of their drinks as well. Um, and uh, while you're there, you can find links to all of our social media sites, uh, all that good stuff. So, yeah. And if uh, you enjoy the show and you can give us a solid, give us a nice review on uh, iTunes and uh, follow us on Instagram and recommend our stuff. And if there's uh, books you have, uh, you know, that you'd like to recommend or uh, suggestions, questions, comments, things better left unsaid, also on our website, there is a contact uh, page that will uh, send an email directly to our hot little hands. And uh, we will hopefully be able to get to those suggestions. And uh, I will leave you with our lovely plan as we discuss the comic book Chew, uh, first trade paperback in that collection called Taster's Choice by John Lehman and Rob Gilroy. And we're recording. Uh, welcome to episode seven. Holy shit. I know, uh, right? I know. <laughs> it's amazing. The cool thing is most podcasts don't last through episode eight, so once we break that barrier, we're like in the hall of fame for podcasts. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Who knew drunks could get so much done? It's amazing. <laughs> I'm a little afraid of when my job gets normal again and I don't have so much downtime because I'm like, shit, I'm going to have to like really take my personal time to work on this rather than just you know <laughs> doing company time. Anyway, so we are here for a, another episode of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Um, we have with us, we'll start with, we'll say, Adam. Yeah, I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Adam McDonald. I write for Big Shiny Robot, geeksout.org, and also coming up on almost the one-year anniversary of uh, the Board as Hell podcast, and uh, with my co-host, Andy Wilson, who unfortunately has work stuff to do. Boo. Resting comfortably at home. Because <laughs> <laughs> Todd killed does, him. He does send his positive thoughts and wants to discuss this with us later, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. Cool. Um, let's uh, stay in Utah, and we'll jump to Todd. Hi, I'm Todd Pilkington. Just do it in Utah, chilling, enjoying, having good times. Can Thanks I start calling you Carl? Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever you want, Adam. Okay, thanks, Carl. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and then, of course, the infamous Q. I love how you always call me infamous. Well, I called Todd the. I can't. I called him the same thing for like a couple weeks in a row as well. Uh, the lovely and talented. I think is what I called Todd. The lovely and talented Q. Does that make you feel better? Yes. Yes. It could be worse. Q. He calls me cocksucker. So. That's only when you're naughty. Ooh. lips here. Don't tease me. Hashtag enchilada sauce my ass. Um, only if you're good. <laughs> I didn't tell you where the enchilada sauce was. <laughs> that was 
sting. Oh, I'm naughty. <laughs> oh, God. Um, well, I think we're all really drunk today. Um, I think so. Should I actually just, I just started, so I, I have no excuse except for the fact that I was up way too late and didn't get enough sleep, so. Um, I had, like, this whole intro done to, like, try to be, like, kind of professional like Adam, and I totally forgot what it was. I need to start writing shit down. Um, do you want me to do my intro and then you can come back to you? You want to think uh, about no, it? No, no, I'm, I'm uh, that's what I was going to say. I was like, I'm coming, uh, I'm coming from my, um, the cast party of Hairspray, so that part of my life is officially wrapped, which is why I'm a little drunk right now. Well, yeah. that's completely awesome, because Hairspray is amazing, both the John Waters version and the musical, so props to you for that. That's that's so cool. And so, so with that being closed, my next project is Costume Designing 1776, which is a complete shift of creative process. Oh, hells yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... And, uh, yeah, and I just officially found out, uh, they did update the website that the Christmas show this year that I will be costume designing is White Christmas, which I'm already all over that Rosemary Clooney dress. Oh, yeah. You know, what's funny is that's actually the, uh, the musical that's touring Utah for our our winter show as well. Is it really? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be in the brand new, uh... Eccles Theater that, that's almost done. So, oh, cool. <laughs> you, you, you mean not the other Eccles or the other seven Eccles <laughs> theaters that are, that are in Utah? <laughs> anyway, that's and that is all. Okay, um, and I am Brian, and I actually have something to promote this week, which is amazing. Uh, if you guys are in Utah and you're in the Logan area, I am uh, designing three shows for the Lyric uh, Theater. It was Repertory Theater Company um, in Logan, Utah. I am doing. Oh, let's see if I can remember all these. Arsenic and Old Lace, um, which is an old classic. Uh, Baskerville, which is sort of a modern retelling of the Sherlock Holmes story, The Hounds of Baskerville. It's sort of played as a comedy. Uh, the guy who wrote it is very obviously uh, heavily influenced by the Mel Brooks film uh, Young Frankenstein. And then I am doing another old classic comedy. Uh, shit. Uh, you can't take it with you. Um, and uh, yeah, so uh, if you're there, it's running for a bunch of the summer, like two months. I think first one opens June 11th, I think. Uh, <laughs> shut up, Ryan. I should. I'm sorry. Well, it's to be a, fair, you've, you've, your mind's been a bit frozen lately, so. It, oh, yeah. Yeah, we won't talk um, about that. So I, I did just double check to make sure I wasn't lying, and it is posted on the Poor Tobacco Players website that we are doing like Christmas. And super exciting, we did officially get the rights for Sister Act, which means that we, I think, are doing the Washington, D.C. area premiere of a, a community theater doing Sister Act the musical. Oh, that's cool. Which we're doing next summer. So um, if y'all have any leads on some sparkly black fabric, I'm going to need um, to costume all of my nuns in it for the finale, so <laughs> So, you just flooded Eddie's basement because he loves that musical, uh, and his mom's side of the family lives back east, so now we have an even more pressing reason to get out there uh, to go see, well, first of all, see you, of course, mm-hmm. and also uh, to come see Sister Act because he's he was next like, summer. last night was dancing around the um, the apartment, singing along to <laughs> Sister Act. Yes! It's so much fun. If you want to make your husband jealous, I'm going to see uh, the touring company of Newsies next Sunday. So We actually get that in July. So Nice. Well, I can yeah. see it before your husband does, so there. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, and if you can't tell, we're drinking um, as well as talking about uh, comic yes. books. Queen. Yes. <laughs> Some of us more than others. Uh, so uh, I will. Uh, you know what? I'll start this week. I actually tried to invent a drink. Um, I'm calling it the Amelia Mints because uh, it sort of made sense. It's essentially a variation on a Moscow Mule. Um, it is. Uh, I basically did um, an instant, uh, an ounce and a half of strawberry moonshine. Um, three-fourths of an ounce of uh, fresh lemon juice and three ounces of ginger beer. Mix it all together over ice, and it actually was pretty good. Uh, tasted pretty well, um, and uh, yeah, I, I didn't go the adventuresome route because having read this book, the logical choice would be to try to go with something with beets in it. I was not that crazy, but someone here was, and that would be Todd. You want to talk about your drink, Todd? So reading it, the logical choice was beets, and this took about three days in preparation um, I found this drink online. It's called the Hot Pink. Take that as you may. And you take um, celery, beets, and horseradish, chop it all up, and throw it in a jar, and add some sugar, salt, and cider vinegar, and let that steep for three days. Strain out the solids, then you add some Tanqueray gin, and have it as cold as you can, and it's still terrible. That literally sounds like the worst thing that has ever happened to anyone. And I am been trying so hard to finish this off. I've got one of your Not Your Father's Root Beers right next to me. And I'm just alternating back and forth to finish this up. But it's purpley and bloody red. And yeah, it's the hot pink. And it's just nasty. You know, we, we are adults. We can we can buy more gin if you're worried about wasting it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of feel know how Tony Chu and the books feel of going, oh, I have to eat this now. Here I go. So, yeah, here I go as I'm just packing this in. Yeah, we don't want to cry over spilt alcohol. Um, someone who never lets spilt alcohol go to waste and uh, will lick it up off the floor. Q, what are you drinking? <laughs> this is so true. Um, so I'm just drinking vodka straight out of the bottle because that's how I do. For anyone who knows me in real life, the only way to drink. <laughs> um, for anyone who knows me in real life, that's actually how I drink. Um, yeah. So I'm just drinking vodka, and um, so for my drink of for inspired by this, I'm gonna call it the uh, vodka chew, and um, I found some um, gummy body parts on Amazon. Which body can, parts are they? Uh, there's like a finger and an eye and a brain. And um, I, I think so not like bachelorette party stuff. Yeah, it's but I mean, but they're like little gummies. But it's sort of based on like a rummy bear, where you would um, you know just soak gummy bears in rum overnight. So you just get these gummies, pour uh, you know a whole gallon of vodka on that, and enjoy. Chew it up. <laughs> okay. Oh. <laughs> and Mrs. Nesbitt, what are you uh, drinking today or recommending with this well, book? today! No. Um, so I, I kind of went with a classic, but I was thinking of a drink you would chew, because that kind of goes along with our theme. So I just did a really classic pina colada. And if you ever go to Puerto Rico and you go to a bar at a, a mo- uh, hotel and you want to see them hate you, ask for a pina colada, because they're a bitch to make. Uh, that or a mojito. But yeah, just simple. Uh, you get some good rum. Add ice, pineapple juice, coconut milk, blend it all up, and then you've got an alcoholic slushy that you can both sip and chew on. So, I'm coming to your place. <laughs> I think you live, I'm pretty sure you live close by. We need to. Yeah, you should. Well, I, I will be in town in a few weeks. We might have to do some semi-live shows with you know Q 
queue on the computer and the rest of us hanging yes. out in the same room. And I do have uh, I do have some time off coming up, so let me know for sure the dates, and I will yep. make sure to have extra time off to I will let you know. Hang out with you. Yeah, for sure. Cool. So uh, this week, as we have uh, as we have indicated previously, we are discussing the uh, John Lehman, Rob Gilroy, uh, Gilroy uh, book Chew, which we're doing the first trade paperback of it. Um, I'm going to be completely honest about this book up front. Uh, I love this book. Um, we don't have to wait till the end for my uh, review. Uh, this is one of the books that when me and my wife first started dating, I gave her this book in that horrible thing that people do to each other, where they give them like a piece of art of some kind and basically say, okay, if you don't enjoy this this relationship might be over because i love this book a lot and i kind of did that to her with this book um for those of you who haven't read it a you should uh b what it's about is it's about a uh detective who happens to have a very weird skill set which is that if he eats anything he can tell like a psychic reading on everything that that piece of fruit has gone through or piece of food whatever it is except beets that's the only thing that he doesn't get a psychic reading from and so needless to say he lives almost entirely on beats because it is uh, uh, less annoying uh, there has been in this world that this story takes place a large outbreak of avian flu which has led to um, there being basically prohibition much like speakeasies and whatnot there's a prohibition on chicken so there is a legal chicken trade that is going on and uh, Tony Chu who was our hero is a vice cop who is trying to hunt down you know illegal chicken restaurants uh, Things happen, and he ends up getting uh, pulled into the FDA, which, after a large, you know, avian flu outbreak and chicken prohibition, is one of the most powerful uh, law enforcement arms of the government. And now he is forced to help solve cases. The problem being, because he uh, is what they call psychopath, meaning he can get psychic readings from what he eats. In some circumstances, he has to eat body parts to find out how the victim died and who killed. Mm. There's the rub. Tastiness uh, ensues. So, um, yeah, so that's a, a basic intro to the book. Um, it does go on for quite a while. Um, unfortunately, I guess it's going to be ending here soon. They're only doing 60 issues of it, and uh, it's been running since, I think, about 2009. Is that right? Let me take a look at that book. Does anybody know that one off the top of their head? Yeah, 2009. Hey, look at that. I remembered something. Um, so, yeah, but so it will, it will, it's a lot, I think they have about five more issues, as of this recording, about five more issues that are going to come out individually, um, and then it will be done for the time being. Um, so jumping into this, uh, one thing I think that uh, I've noticed uh, about the book, well, this book in particular, there's a lot of, uh, in the overall course of this series, and I mean, we may get into a little bit of that later, um, or on future episodes, uh, there are a lot of different food-based powers, but in this book... Um, there are only really two um, uh, that are, um, like, there are only two that are really talked about. One of them is Cybopath, which we talked about, and the other one is uh, Sabo Scribner, which uh, is a, a character named Amelia Mintz, has this uh, power which she can write about food so accurately that she gets the, te- the, the food, um, like, she can, the people who read it can basically feel like they've actually eaten that meal. Um, unfortunately, she's a little bit bored with her job or hates her job, so she starts going to the lowest-rated restaurants, uh, all the D-rated restaurants, and ends up uh, basically causing everyone to uh, spontaneously vomit. Someone wrote down their uh, their favorite line. What was that? Um, uh, sudden onset of explosive vomit and diarrhea is uh, is uh, what uh, true love is later described to. Because of course, since he can't eat anything, Tony Chu becomes uh, in love with a girl who can write about food. So he feels like he eats it, but he doesn't have to get the psychic. Uh, things. So the question I guess we'll start out with is, are these blessings or are these curses? Uh, you know, would you really want to have either of these powers? 
So, um, the, the, these power sets remind me of, um, two characters from the X-Men who don't have to ingest anything. The first one being Longshot, and the second one being one of my personal favorites who I cosplayed as last year um, for Halloween, named Tangerine, who have um, very strong empathic powers. And um, and one, uh, actually I looked it up, an Uncanny X-Men 229 and 230, um, the X-Men have this whole battle with the Reavers, and they take their base in Australia, and Longshot goes into like sort of their, like treasure room, and um, so Longshot has the power of uh, oh, now I can't remember what it's called, but he touches, he can just touch objects and get the psychic imprints from them, and so they uh, the X-Men go off and return all of these stolen things to um, to their various owners, and um, uh, Tangerine um, is, is a psychic empath where she just feels emotions in the air, and, and one of the most heartbreaking scenes from um, Excalibur is uh, they go to the Days of Future Past story um, timeline, and Tangerine literally feels and relives all of her friends dying um, in this in this uh, stronghold that they had created. And uh, so, just in like the first two, like like pages of the story, I was immediately reminded of those characters. And um, once again, Tangerine's one of my favorites. Uh, one of those like Z-list. No one else really knows her. And um, I, I actually think that those kind of powers where it's like the instantaneous, you touch it and you feel it, or, you know, there, there's a strong feeling in the room and you can't help but, um, you know, feel, feel a certain way. I think that is kind of a curse. That's sort of like, almost like a rogue ability where you, you can't really control that. That's, it's something that is invading your space and that you can't help but but feel those things and I oh I would hate to have a power like that because th there's no way once again if I like beets but if I had eaten beets every goddamn day and that's all I could eat without with without fear of oh, I hate like, beets <laughs> without the fear of like literally feeling like a, a cow getting a hammer through its head like I just no thanks it's interesting with a lot of comic books and this one in general, people that have a special skill and they, other people figure out they have it, they go, oh, no, let's take you to the bottom of the barrel of humanity so we can just exploit the skill you have for the betterment of others and your life is just going to suck now. But for the greater good, we're going to put you through hell and this is what you get to live with from now on. Well, that's also kind of in real life, too. And I'm not going to go deep in this because it's, it's disturbing, <laughs> but... Um, you know, with my work, we we've I work with computers, and I've you know we have stumbled across some very horrible, um, we'll just say illegal pictures on some people's computers. They just they popped up, and so we had to get the police involved. And you know, the cops here all love us. I mean, like they know us by our first name because <laughs> because of all the weird crap that happens where I work. Um, but he came in last time, and he was looking over stuff and then filling out paperwork and he's like you guys should totally come work for us like we would pay you to go to school we'd pay you to get your degree in computer science all you have to do is is you have to give us two years i'm like okay well what does that entail and it would be two years of doing the most horrible disgusting you know work you could possibly imagine that would pretty much just destroy your soul and 
but then you're free after that. And so it almost kind of seems like to get anywhere in life, like in law enforcement or certain places like Chu does here, you kind of have to start in the shit. And we, I mean, we kind of go up from there. I mean, the army's the same way, military stuff. Um, so, but yeah, it is kind of funny that you know, when he gets put in the FDA, his boss hates him, and the first thing he has to do is eat a finger. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that, that kind of leads into an interesting thing that I think happens in this book with multiple characters, not just Chu, that there are a lot of characters who are somehow upset with their job or unhappy with their job and somehow, you know, use their powers or their position to, uh, you know, to do different things. Uh, Tony Chu, obviously, uh, unfortunately, is required to eat horrible things for his job, but, like, Amelia Mintz, uh, or Mintz is, uh, you know, she's bored of reviewing really good restaurants, so she starts going to horrible ones so that people can get that impression. You know, the guy, uh, or uh, Tony's brother, uh, is, uh, you know, a famous food critic, and then he just, or, uh, not food critic, he's a television chef, and he decides to use that to sort of speak out, of, out against the government so it it almost feels like there's a little bit of a certain animosity here for uh for bad jobs and bad bosses well yeah, i mean i don't no go ahead the, I, I was gonna say it was really interesting to me the the bad boss thing because it was like for for no reason tony's boss is such a dick yeah like, for, it's like day, like minute one, he's like an asshole. And you're just like, why the fuck is this guy such a jerk? Like, uh, I mean, once again, obviously, it, it, it kind of uh, something else I found interesting in the book was, um, you know, the, this kind of parallel universe where the FDA is now all of a sudden like the CIA. It, like, the, these are now the Kingsmen of this reality is the FDA. Um, and uh, it's a, so, so once again, like the, this high-ranking official or, you know, whoever he is, even if he's, I guess, just middle management, it's like, once again, do you really hate your job so much? And, and why is it specifically directed at him, at Tony Chu? It was, it was just like, wow. Wow. I think, you know, this could go back to, um, you know, his you know, his working in the comics industry for so long because, you know, Marvel, DC, the big powerhouses, I mean, there's a lot of creators and artists who have chosen to either one, self-publish or two, you know, leave the fold and go to more indie type stuff uh, because of all the pressure and kind of the overbearing presence of these these big companies weighing down on them and kind of crushing their creative input. So in much the same way that Tony Chu, he's, you know, his skills and his powers are 100% essential to the FDA closing these cases and you know bring you know going through all, all the cold cases and bringing them back to life. Um, everyone hates on him for it, because, even though he's the most he's indispensable what he does. And I think it's kind of the same with the comic industry with writers and artists because without those two people, you've got nothing. But it still seems that a lot of them are getting tired. Unless you're a big name like you know a Chris Claremont or. Um, Bendis or someone like that who can kind of do what they want you kind of get crushed and like your your spirit could be kind of broken down well I gotta imagine like with a Chris Claremont or them they probably had to go through a lot of shit to get to their position anyway I, I, I gotta imagine they probably have similar stories to to hating life as well and I mean and just tagging on that a little bit um you know I work for an entertainment company as well and you know it's it's very much you know it's the accountants are trying to run things but the creative people are trying to you know create something useful or uh good and it's you know you feel like i have the skill set that i'm putting 
forth my best ever, but it's completely unappreciated by your bosses and your management, and it's a pearls before swine kind of vibe. Watching this, it's also interesting. My sister-in-law works for the FDA, and having herself become armed and becoming a fully armed FDA federal agent is an option for her to be going in in this way. So, yeah, I hear everything else, but reading this book with my sister-in-law and the FDA, I kind of laugh because it's kind of like an alternate reality of what it might be. So are you saying your sister-in-law is armed, or she like the idea of her being armed is weird? Well, she can be armed. She, um, If she wants to go through the training and do that, she can become a fully armed FDA agent. And that is a thing. And it's, I mean, it's not, people don't think of the FDA as an armed force, but some of them are. And so having this actually occur, as funny and weird as it sounds, may not be so out of the realm of possibilities if there was a nasty avian flu besides the psychic power portion of course thanks obama (laughs) (laughs) that's right uh so okay so kind of tagging on that a little bit part of the reason why the fda becomes so powerful is because of this uh chicken prohibition and and so i mean in a certain way uh the show um you know has a lot in common with this comic book in general because it is sort of about you know, the government's treatment of something, you know, that they, you know, prohibition of something, you know, it was alcohol and now it's, you know, uh, chicken restaurants. And I, I think that the, the whole idea of a speakeasy restaurant is actually kind of hilarious. People sneaking into, you know, a Colonel Sanders and getting their fix. First of all, no one had better take away some goddamn fried chicken for me. <laughs> I will punch you in the throat. <laughs> So who, who else was reading this and immediately brought to mind the South Park episode where KFC is banned from Colorado and there's a whole underground that Cartman gets in charge of of like smuggling chicken and gravy all over Colorado? Well, and, and they make a joke sort of similar. They're like, you know, when you outlaw chicken, only the outlaws have chicken. Right. <sighs> then those are the people I need to be friends with because <laughs> I need chicken. Hey, kid, you want a drumstick? <laughs> First of all, kids would be feeding for some McNugget. Can you imagine, like, some, like, five-year-old being like, hey, 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 Schoolyard dealer out there at lunch break. Yeah, like, give me five bucks, I'll give you a chicken nugget. The first one's free, but I charge for the barbecue sauce. That's right. And sweet and extra. And the dino-shaped ones would be, like, the hottest commodity. Of course. They're they're cutting the barbecue sauce with water, and you're like, you son of a bitch, this is not pure! (laughs) Or like, in South Park, we're like, this isn't KFC, baby, this is Boston Market, what the fuck are you trying to do? (laughs) What are you pulling here, man? What are you pulling here? Don't fuck with me. That's right, (laughs) Buffalo Wild Wings becomes this huge crime syndicate, just shifts right over. Amazing, amazing. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, so, like, kind of back to the book, like the the um, the government conspiracy stuff, like, really runs deep because there's like this whole thing with aliens, and I'm still not quite sure what the hell happened to that planet. I'm pretty sure it exploded like Krypton, but I'm not 100 percent sure because I don't know anything else about this book. And obviously, um, if you do know, don't spoil it for people who might be, you know interested by this podcast you're welcome america um and um reading it so i mean there's this whole thing with like the aliens and obviously there's this uh you know evan peters guy who um you know you find out has been killed and because he 
he was uh, on to kind of like the government's involvement with the avian flu and um, I don't know, there, there, it was very cool. Like this, I, I have to say, I did enjoy this book. I didn't. Think oh my that I god! Would. I, I am know, I didn't shocked. think that I would, but I did. <laughs> um, it very much read like um, like a movie, like an action yeah. film, uh, a very well thought out one where it's just not handless hey, explosions and crazy shit and all that stuff. So it was it was good. Like I um I. Like while reading it, it was very easy for me to say, "Oh, this is this could totally be a TV show or or a movie." Um, now, up until the part where like literally the alien planet exploded, which I'm still not 100 percent sure that that's what. I'll happened. just say that they do cover that in uh, future issues. That does come up. Well, I, I'm I'm sure it does. Um, but like up to that point, I was like, "Oh, this government is like crazy," and you know all this stuff. And then I was like, "And yeah, this this whole planet was that is like a real thing." And I was like, "Holy shit!" Like that. <laughs> Is ridiculous, and I and I kind of, I kind of like the fact that it went there, went to this, like it, kind of like Kingsman, where like Kingsman, it went up to the sort of like reality, and then it was like, and then we're just gonna watch everybody's head explode for five minutes. Yay! <laughs> like it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was very cool. Yeah, well, and, and actually, uh, part of the thing that I, I noticed that I kind of want to discuss as well um, is that. Uh, it does have, as you said, a action film kind of quality to it. One thing I did notice is, it is because it is sort of almost has like a, a noir detective kind of style, even to the point of having Prohibition involved into it. The thing is, it seems more associated with like uh, movie and TV show detective cliches rather than like books. You know, like it, it's not your classic uh, novel. Because I've read a few of the uh, the classic, uh, you know. Uh, uh, film noir or noir books and things like that recently, but yeah, it, it almost seems to have more of similarities with like Lethal Weapon and uh, you know Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and that kind of ilk. One of the things I really enjoyed about it is with each new episode, it, the trade paperback, but they do a nice little introduction of letting you know who people are and what their powers are, like in the classic comics of the superheroes. But it feels like Amelie or even episodes of um, Pushing Daisies is like, this is Tony. He's a psychopath. He can eat food and understand what it is. This is Miss Mensch, and she can write, and she can tell you what it is. And like with Amelie, it's like, this is Amelie. She likes orgasms and clicking teeth and having chiclets. It's just kind of cute and funny all thrown in together. And one thing I do really, really like about that format, um, which we brought up last last episode or uh, whatever this airs, with uh, X-Men Dark Phoenix, was that Marvel likes to do the whole thing with, oh, reminding us every couple pages that so-and-so has this power and -and so-and-so can do this, whereas 2 kind of just gets all out of the way at the Mm get-go and then expects you to follow along. So, yeah, if you're just jumping in or maybe you haven't read in a while and you want to kind of catch up, it reminds you enough to like, oh, cool, like you know, Tony can do this, and Amelia can do that, and then you're done with it. You don't have to explain later on, like, oh, so this is what happens. It's like it's a really cool way of doing it, um, and I really wish more comics would do that because I think it's it's more it's more of like the time of the '80s, '90s Marvel that was doing that, but you still kind of see it pop up every so often, and it's kind of annoying. Well, and I think one of the benefits of that too, because I've I've read this trade paperback series for. 
quite a while. And one of the nice things is, is that, like, you know, when you're waiting between trades, you kind of forget the whole story. You're not reading it, you know, once every month or every other month. And it is, it's a very easy book to set down, you know, go a couple months or even like a year without reading and then be able to jump right back into it because it has all that information for you. You're like, okay, that's right. That's what this person does and that's what this person does. And then, you know, you, like, I find myself with some other series having to go back a couple of, you know, trades and go, wait, what the hell is going on here? And go back and look at that. So, uh, but Adam, since you are the film critic among us, at least officially, um, what are your thoughts as far as the uh, the tie-ins with um, you know the kind of movies and things like that? Like there is, there does definitely seem to be some references to uh, some uh, various different uh, cinematic detective stories. Um, well, I mean, obviously, the first thing that's going to pop up is kind of the kind of the buddy cop mm-hmm. uh, you know movie with uh, Chu and Savoy, um, and is it? It's not just me. Everyone else reads Savoy with a British accent, right? Absolutely. Um, I'm not say enough. I go with British accent, but I kind of very posh, if nothing else. I was, I was gonna say um, New England, like that uh, sort of like the that, that, like the, the the way that I read Emma Frost, where it's that sort of um, affected New England sound, not not Kennedy sound, but like just yeah. where it's like it's almost British. It's like, why are you doing that? Yeah, it's almost someone who's trying to start sound significantly smarter than they really are. Oh, okay. I, I just, the moment I saw like his first words, I was like, oh, he's British. But again, it could be whatever else. It could just be my own, you know. It you just think British people brain. are smart. That's whatever. You're racist for British people. That's fine. Whatever. <clears throat> and the, the accent makes them hot. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's very much buddy cop. Uh, it's also, you're going to get some cool stuff with like romantic comedy thrown in. Um, like, you know, Q mentioned with the aliens, it's kind of a mismatch of all these different kinds of film genres kind of rolled into one. And that's why I'm so, I was so excited to, you know, hopefully see this come to a TV series or even like an animated movie, which has been stuck in development hell for, I mean, God, years now. And unfortunately, the last thing we heard, because originally Robin Williams was supposed to be one of the main characters, and then mm-hmm. when he passed, uh, you know, like they kind of restarted the whole thing and went from TV series over to animated movie um and you've got the i can't remember his name but the dude who plays glenn in walking dead oh okay he was gonna be tony chu i mean david Tennant was supposed to be a part of it and all these crazy things were going on and i was excited i was like yes i fuck yeah i want to see this this is going to be so cool and there's been nothing for the last year and three four months so i don't know what's happening if it's just stuck in development hell if they're really kind of working on it to develop the story but it's it's just great because yeah it does tie in so many cool genres into one story and very few comics do that i mean most of them are either like you know, horror their uh their drama their action or their you know a funny book like you know, funny books of firewater but mm-hmm. this one kind of combines all that to where you've got the whodunit you've got and i won't spoil it but like the last couple of pages of the trade you know had a, a twist i didn't see coming and i mean i'm the guy who guessed the ending of six cents before i even saw it <laughs> I mean, so I'm pretty good at predicting things. Uh, so yeah, it's it's just ripe and begging to be made into a TV series or something like that. Um, and I don't know how you would classify it because, again, it's just it it's an amalgam of so many cool genres and it's done so well that you know it's I guess you just call it like great entertainment. This could replace Castle in the ABC lineup. <laughs> They're gonna have a lot of open holes. The final few pages. So I'm trying to find actual page numbers in here, but obviously 
<clears throat> there is not one. So, you know, there's the whole thing about how uh, he said that he saw a white flash, and then you know, there's, like, the weird shadows that he sees um, towards the end, and then after, and then, you know, he eats the dog, um, whatever. There's a, a panel of Tony Chu, and he's saying something, but there's nothing in the bubble. Is that is that meant to be there? Well, I think it's sort of that, that you're I almost I read it as you get you're getting it from the perspective of Savoy, where it's like almost like a shock. Like, did he just say what I think he said? Because then he asks on the next page, "What are you saying?" Um, and so I think it's kind of implied that he's saying something effective. You're under arrest, or you know, I know what you did, or you know, whatever. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. And because then because then the conversation continues on. So it's like I think it's for dramatic effect. It's there as a you know, uh, I mean, at least the way I read it was, you know, you're almost getting it from from Savoy's point of view, and then when he asks and you continue on, you're like, oh, okay, that's what's going on. I here. found it more of like a Tarantino way of fucking with us, like when in Kill Bill, when it's you know they're trying to they don't ever name the bride until like the last movie, uh-huh. um, or just like, oh, my name is, Brr, and every yeah. time they say your name, it bleeps out or yeah. something goes over. I thought it was more of his fucking with us where maybe something's going to be revealed later on, which I've only read the first trade and a half, mm-hmm. so I don't know if that's... If you've read more, so maybe there's a so reveal like, coming later. So when I was... So when I read this book this morning, um... <laughs> I was like... I was like, when it was on the panels that were white, I was like, moving it around in the light to see if I was like, is there something like, that's like a different shade of white? Because as I know... text? Yeah. So, so, so then on that one, I'm like, oh, well, here, well, let me see if there's like words, like written in this word balloon, but they're just like an eggshell instead of white. And there weren't, so I was just like, well, that's, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that, I feel like there's more, and once again, maybe there is more and it comes out later. I don't, I don't know. But it was just kind of like, they, because, like, it's frustrating to me because, like, you obviously know that he is, like, coming after Savoy at the end. And once mm-hmm. again, on the next page at the top, it literally says, you're under arrest. So it's not like there's, like, a cliffhanger because it's like you turn the page and then you know what's up. Like, you know what I mean? So I'm like, what, why the cl- close-up on his face as though he is saying something really important... And then have it be empty. Like I, I th- that's like something that definitely frustrated me, just because I didn't understand what kind of um, like theatrical device he's using, like what kind of writing device he's using in that. Well, it really seems to me, looking at it, as you've got Savoy talking, and you see he's got the previous pain. The thought bubbles are just filled with him talking about it, and he's not really paying attention to Tony. And then Tony says something, and that's when he flips around and says, what was that? Is that something I actually have to be listening to? Am I underestimating you for what you just said? That's kind of how I'm taking and, away with and the it. Thing, and the thing is, I, I get that, but I, in my opinion, I think it would have made more sense to have a blank voice, a text bubble, if, like, he were still talking and you saw his text bubbles, like, on either side of him, that's to sort of, like, overcrowd it, and then have it stop, and then have the next panel with the, what did you say? Like, hmm. that, that's, that's like, me nitpicking, like, mm-hmm. 
like sort of like artistic license or whatever and what it is that he's trying to get across with the the blank word bubble in this panel which is literally zeroed in on his face or once like if this or if this wasn't a close-up if it was a shot of literally Savoy walking away and just like a little you know blank thing of him saying something and then him turning around saying what did you say but because it's like in his face like full close-up it looks like he's shouting and then it's like empty text text bubble all right i mean and i i've kind of already said but it's the only reason because i looked at it again part of the reason why i thought it was i think he just says you're under arrest is because the thought this the, the conversation bubble is not very large so it's not like he said a whole ton and when uh savoy says you know what did you say and he turned around the next thing he says is you're under arrest i just felt like it was him repeating himself you know, so I, I and, and that's kind of what I just assumed that it was, but I mean, it might be something more that you know we'll figure out later as well. You know. Well, no, and that makes sense too. I, I could see the fact that he was rambling on and on, and then she was like, "You're under arrest," and he's like, "What'd you say?" Because like he was just so wrapped up in his own thoughts. So yeah, actually, mm-hmm. that does make a lot more sense than my theory. So it it could be one of a million different things, actually. Uh, so, okay, a couple of the other things is there's, um, in this book there are a lot of, uh, funny visual gags that are thrown into things, um, there is the missing N from the word come dine with us at one point in time, so it says come die with us, um, there are visual references to actors, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the late, um, oh, what's his name, uh, let me see if I can find it, um, uh, oh, Evan Pepper looks is drawn very much look like William H Macy in my opinion. Uh, do you guys have any favorite sort of visual gags that are kind of thrown in there? On well, you know, I, I like, was gonna say that is that is such a like modern comics thing to literally just have your characters look like celebrities to sort of um, get you to I guess relate to them. You know, obviously the Ultimate Universe when it first premiered did the Samuel L Jackson thing, which eventually turned into Samuel L. Jackson playing Nick Fury in in the Marvel Universe movies. Um, Wanted uh, was, uh, it was supposed to be Eminem. Yeah. Which was well, and, 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 the then, and, and Halle Berry, I believe. Yeah, and then in The Boys, it's uh, it looks a lot like uh, Simon Pegg. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, and in this circumstance, I mean, we've kind of already discussed that there's a lot of references to other films. It's probably giving you a type, you know what I mean? It's like, okay, this character, because you're never really going to meet him, you can actually say a lot about that character by basing him on a film actor that everyone has seen in a lot of movies. Because, like, you know, William H. Macy's played a similar character in Fargo and in The Cooler and, you know, a bunch of other those, those stories you kind of get from, okay, it's William H. Macy with that haircut. That probably tells you about all you need to know about that character. Yeah. Um, it, to me, if I were a celebrity, I'd be pissed. Because, <laughs> um, um, you know, much like Carrie Fisher says, George Lucas owns her face. So it's like she like doesn't even get to own her face anymore. So, like, to me, if I was a celebrity and I found that someone, you know, based his character off of me, I would be actually upset and be like, no, 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 that's my brand. Like, did I say that you could use that? No, I did not. So, um, I mean, but, but I know that it's obviously, like, a very common thing these days to have um, characters look... Well, I, I mean, um, in, a, in a lot of the, um, well, I, I think there was a, a one in Fantastic Four where they literally drew the cast of the new Fantastic Four movie and then killed them. 
I feel like that'd be more of something would happen in a Deadpool comic for some reason. <laughs> it, uh, I can't I can't remember where where it happened, but yeah, they they literally killed them. Um, but anyway, it, it, to to me, it, it, it's sort of. Like when when it's when it's something like that where you're like playing to type, it's sort of. I mean, I I I, I don't want to say anything um, negatively really about you know the writer or artist, but it's kind of it's kind of like thinking that your audience is just a little bit dumb that you actually have to like spoon feed them a type instead of just having them know. Okay, so nerdy scientist guy. Cool. I I understand your your perspective on that. I kind of disagree on this particular character. If it was a main character, so like something like Wanted or whatever, where it's a character entire book in the entire book, that's one thing. This is a character who's only in four panels, and his murder is there. You know, well, and, and establishing well, it with a type is, is a form the, of shorthand. Tony Chu is based on um, what's his name from um, oh uh, longer yeah um, yeah from from Lost, and he was also in um, the terrible um, X Men Three. Um, that's a terrible character too. Ugh, that character is awful. Um, but uh, it, Ken Long. Yes, it, it's just kind of to me. I'm just like, uh, okay. But like, what you, you couldn't think of another face to use? I I, I, I I don't know. It's 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 sort of like a, a cheap trick. That's it. I, I I understand that. I I kind of I I just disagree with you, but that's fine. Well, um, I will say. Well, it, it, even an artist who I actually really like, Alex Ross, does the same thing. Um, yeah. He actually uses like actual live people, but they're not celebrities. They're just like his friends or models or whatever. Um, which you know. But once again, that's. The, I mean, that is his literal whole shtick, though. Is yeah. Um, is the sort of live action reference. Well, and, and going back um, on a slightly different topic, um, just a different, slightly different perspective on the using of a, an actor's face. I think it's the second book, Todd, you'll probably be able to tell me, the second trade paperback of The Boys. The forward is actually written by... Um, Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, who basically, yeah. I, to, to paraphrase what he writes in there, it's sort of a, it's not every, you, you never go to a movie and find out suddenly that you're in it, and then go, <laughs> oh shit, I was in that movie, and I was actually pretty damn good. He goes, but that was the experience he had with reading The Boys, was like, oh shit, I'm in a comic book, and actually I really like my character in that comic book. So I mean, I think it can go both ways, you know, um, but I, I totally get your, you know, it's my brand, and it's, you know, you shouldn't necessarily, you know, be using that without me. But I, and you know, but but there is a slightly different perspective on it as well, you know. Sure, and you have Carrie Fisher bringing up the comment of George Lucas owns my face, but then she follows that up as like, if you have ever the opportunity to have a um, little superhero figure figure modeled after you, do it. It's like, yeah, that happens. He owns it. Would I regret it? No. It's awesome. Everyone forever thinks I look like that, even when I don't. It's amazing. But yeah. I actually have a slave layer, Carrie Fisher, right in front of me, actually, right now. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, I prefer the trans hot slayer, not slave Leia. Hot slayer? Okay. I'll go with that. And um, one of the. Um, oh, that's what I wanted to add to our, our um, growing list is uh, there's comic books coming out about. Um, Leia in between um, Jedi and uh, Force Awakens where uh, she actually earns the, the sort of nickname Hut Slayer and uh, it's sort I of I actually a, have that right in front of me right here and actually I know I have a story about where that came from Ooh, do tell so uh, 
you know, one of the big names up here in Utah is Brian Young. He's kind of the world-renowned Star Wars geek, um, and he, uh, with... Uh, the Mike Pilot and Kinsetta Parker, who has Rancho Obi-Wan in California, they've got their podcast, The Full of Sith Podcast. And in one of their episodes, they mentioned they don't like the term Slave Leia, they prefer the term Leia the Hut Slayer. And because of that, because they tweeted it and promoted it, uh, that's specifically why it's mentioned that in the book, and that's kind of like her new name now is canon, as Leia the Hut Slayer uh, was from their podcast. That's awesome. That is awesome. And, and so, like, in the book, apparently, it becomes, like, sort of a political thing of, you know, people who are sort of, I, I guess, in, in league with the huts or whatever, use it as a, as a negative connotation thing. Because, obviously, if she's killed people in order to maintain power, it's, anyway, po- political drama. <laughs> we don't know anything about that in America, thank God. Well, not in Utah, but for damn sure. One of the favorite things I had in this comic book, a little bit going back to Brian's earlier question, is we uh, had some characters that's referenced by famous actors for a shorthand. But my favorite point in the whole thing is you had ashes and an urn handed to Savoy. And this person's going, hey, I outsmarted you. I know you like to eat people to figure out what's going on, so I just burned them. And now you can't figure it out. It's like, now do whatever the fuck you want with these ashes. And he's like, whatever I want. She's like, yeah, whatever you want. Good luck, prick. And there's this fan in the office, and he just opens it up, and he just starts dripping the ashes in front of the fan. And you've got this panel, and it starts out in full color, and then it's repeated four more times, and it just goes pure gray. Then a little bit lighter gray with a little bit of outlines, and then a little bit lighter and a little bit lighter. And none of the characters have moved in any way you've got one person with the arm up you have tony choose with the mouth open and then you have savoy just sitting there going all smug within himself and at the end he's like good day to you madam basically like a fuck you but it completely brought me back to the big lebowski when they were dumping danny donnie's ashes out in there and you have the lebowski that just completely gets covered in ashes and he's just standing there immovable and then he just completely loses it. And I think that was a bit of a callback to the Big Lebowski in some ways, and absolutely hilarious. Well, and I mean, the Big Lebowski also is uh, another story that plays on the detective stereotypes and kind of bends them. You know what I mean? Instead of having mm-hmm. a very smart detective, you have a bumbling, you know, ridiculously stupid <laughs> detective who's completely inept and who happens to stumble upon the answer, you know, and... That's not necessarily the case here, but it is another reference to another sort of ongoing uh, detective story. So actually, out of just sort of that thought process, uh, I'm just kind of curious, people's favorite detective movies. Before before we move on, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, number one, so my mom was in the... Um, funeral directing business for for many many years oh i remember that and this is something that frustrates me and her a lot um you you know it's just like one of those things that's a a common tv movie entertainment trope which is just unfounded um most urns especially when they are uh, done in a hospital or by a funeral home are sealed and they're not super easy to get open 
And they're also, uh, <laughs> remains are also put in a plastic bag before they are put into an urn. So, like, this is just something that happens a lot in, in movies and comic books and stuff where it's just like, oh, I'm just gonna screw the top off and pff, ashes everywhere. It's like, no, that's, that's really not how it happens. Um, so that, that thing, I'm just like, oh, this thing again. But something else that I find more interesting in this, um, thing is that even though Savoy is also a psychopath, why didn't he just do it? Like, why didn't he just, like, lick his own lips and find out what was going on? He still had Chu do it. Because, um, like, Savoy actually doesn't do, like, use his abilities that much in the story. And so, for a while, I questioned whether or not he actually does have the the, the cybopath abilities. Um because he doesn't uh, like I'm just like skimming through real quick but it doesn't seem that he ever uses them so Mm -hmm. to me it calls into question does he really have them or um, is Tony Chu somehow more powerful than he is and and that's why he always has him do it see I was always always taking it that he was um, checking Tony Chu trying to get the measure of the man so I think he was doing it, but playing it off, trying to keep saying, Tony, how much do you see? And trying to see what his limits are in order to um, yeah, have the measure of the guy and whether or not what he can or cannot get away with. Uh, and I, I kind of thought it was uh, that uh, Tony was uh, a more powerful cybopath than uh, than he was. And, uh, well, I mean, But it also probably is him kind of sitting there saying, okay, rookie, what can you actually do and how far can you get away with this? So... Adam, you've been oddly quiet on this episode. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, no, I'm just kind of listening to what you guys have to say and kind of thinking along with it. Um, I just I, I read this a couple years ago um, as a rec- recommendation of a friend, and I I meant to kind of keep up with it and keep reading the trades and get into it. Um, but what was so fun about doing it with you guys and and diving back in now was I just forgot how much fun and how wonderful this is, and um, in a world of you know, even in comics, you know, there's a lot of the same ideas over and over and over again. Uh, and this was just a truly unique idea. And you know, maybe he got his inspiration from, you know, I think you know, The Walking Dead being popular, and because this kind of started in the height of the zombie uh, phenomenon. Uh, but it's still, it's such a cool, fun, and unique take, and a unique superpower. I mean. You know, first of all, being able to eat something and know where it came from, and like the other one we learn about is writing so well that you make people taste whatever you're writing about. Was just it's something I had never seen before, uh, and it was just, again, it was really fun revisiting it and going back and just seeing just how much fun this was. And so I'm, I'm actually really excited to hop into the next trade. I actually own the, the paperback of the next trade and gotten that, and then uh, hopefully catch up before the the whole series ends. Yeah, I mean, I, it is a, a very, very fun book, and I, I love it immensely. Um, and have read it pretty consistently since I first discovered it. I think I, I probably started reading about the time the first trade came back, so I'm a little OG on this. And uh, and I kind of felt the same way rereading it. Um, again, I, I kind of fell in love with it again. I was like, oh, damn, this is really, really fun um, and, uh, and a great book. Uh, since we're kind of doing reviews, uh, Q, do you want to give us a review on this? Um, I, I mean, if, uh, you know, just sort of basic out of five, I'd give it a 3.5. Um, I, once again, I, re- I really did enjoy it. I definitely had, um, 
you know, some some of my issues with it. I wasn't, um, you know, it's still a little bit out of my regular kind of kind of element. Um, yeah, that's, that's that's about it. <laughs> okay. Todd, do you have anything you want to add on this? I've been reading this on your behalf. I think I started reading about five years ago. There was only two trades at the time. You know, it always is fun. What's interesting to watch is it's not quite dating itself quite yet, but there's a little bit of that here. Give it five more years' time, and it's going to seem very much a product of its time. Uh, what I mean, what what uh, examples do you have of pointing to that out of curiosity? You know, with the um, it's more of the artwork as much as okay. anything else. You really have the artwork and everything of that going on. It's just really, you, just like Preacher is a product of the 90s. You've got this right here, and this is where it's there. Tony Gilroy does a wonderful job, but yeah, you can see how it was done and in that regard, but thoroughly enjoyable, and it was a lot of fun. And they take something so benign as chicken and making chicken outlawed. <laughs> and it's like, I'm, oh, how dare you outlaw chicken? What's wrong with chicken? And it's just, you, you take stupid and silly things and you make it what's wrong and it can substitute for anything. And taking a subject that is so silly as outlawing chicken, it brings the absurdity of many other things to the forefront and you just substitute it right in. And that's what really makes it great. Well, and uh, talking about dating, the thing that Adam brought up, which is, you know, this coming in right in the middle of all, you know, all of the zombie stuff. Cause like when you first said this, book called Chill. I was like, oh god, they're making me read a zombie book, which is why I really <laughs> loved it. I was super excited about it, because I was like, we're going to recon, can we at least just do The Walking Dead instead of whatever the fuck this is? Um, but, uh, and so, like, it, it definitely has that feel of, well, the government is doing something fishy, um, kind of, in one thing, yeah. and the FDA are the people who are in charge, because obviously it had to do with, you know, some kind of disease outbreak, but it came through the food instead of the CDC kind of a deal. Yeah, well, and what's funny, you mentioned that it's weird that chickens, like, the, the thing that's banned, um... So if all of you do not have a good relationship with the butcher at your local grocery, I strongly recommend it because they'll recommend the right kind of cuts of meat for you. And also if you need them to do a favor, like open something up and give you part of it and they'll repackage it and sell it again. Uh, you know, if there's someone to cook a lot, it's, it's kind of fun to have that. I used that to be there. a butcher, so... That's right. To so... Butcher. <laughs> So this is what, I mean, and this is the, the most common feedback, and maybe Q, you can say this is true or not. Every single person at my local store who's a butcher that I talk to and, you know, joke about stuff, they all hate packaging and breaking down chicken with a fucking passion. They've all said it's the worst thing they do, it's slimy, it's gross, it's disgusting, and they hate it, and they don't even eat it because they're just so sick and know where it comes from. So that's where I kind of got, like, maybe he was, you know, butcher or do someone who hated chicken that much um q is that true from your experience um, i we didn't do a lot of chicken actually like the most of the chicken that we did was um fried chicken and so yeah i mean yeah i had to cut it up but i i never had an issue with that the worst part is cleaning a fucking meat saw after you work with teenagers and no one has cleaned it for a week Ew. Ew. So, so foul or making someone a sauce sandwich 
Go fucking Google that shit. It's disgusting. Is that like, is that like cake farts? No. Souse is a... Um, so they kind of take all the leftover parts of meat and they put it in a vinegar-type gel and they mold it into sort of like a loaf that you would see at like a deli and you slice it up and put it on the sandwich. It's fucking gross. Sounds like so head it, cheese. That's what uh, I was thinking, it, like it, head it's, cheese. It's uh, very, very, very similar. But oh. it has, has more vinegar in it. Because mm. obviously that's going to make it taste better. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'd rather eat pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. It's a, nat- it's a natural reaction. Look, <laughs> you I got to ask, were you a butcher the same time your mom was a mortician? Um, no, no. Because I'm sensing a horror movie there at some point <laughs> well, in time. I was hoping there would be some, like, Sweeney Todd shit going on. Exactly, right? No, no, that that was not the case. Mom, Mom was gone from the funeral home way before I started working at the Butcher Deli. Which, by yeah, the way, the Butcher funny. Deli is now um, a Mexican restaurant where the location... Oh, really? But also, so, um... Not so go into what I really do for work because you guys don't really care about that, but we own and operate some thrift stores, and our thrift store is now next to that, so I actually still get to go hang out at the, at the old uh, Butcher Deli since, uh, <laughs> since our thrift store is over there now. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it, I mean, the Butcher Deli went out of business a long time ago, but, uh, yeah. Maybe because they weren't cleaning their meat sauce? No, um... <laughs> Because uh, the owner and operator of the Butcher Deli uh, preferred to use uh, top choice meats, um, it was just too expensive for the area that we live gotcha. in. Like people are just like, this, this is so expensive. Well, and it's like, yeah, because this is better quality meat. So, gotcha. and he would also um, special order stuff like I've had to debone an entire pig. Um, wow. People people ordered a pig for uh, for a, a, a pit roast. We had to do a goat once, which is gross. Um, yeah, deboning ham is not fun. Just for the record, um, we uh, in Southern Maryland. Um, we have this thing called uh, stuffed ham, which is very popular around here. I never want to pick kale again. So I, like when all these like hipster kids are like, mm, kale salad. I'm like, fuck no. My hands were green for three days because I picked up a bunch of fucking kale. Um, but uh, so you take like a, a huge like pig hip, and you have to like just cut along the bone, and then once you have like your slice all the way around it, you just have to reach in and just rip the bone out of it. That sounds horrifying. (laughs) And I'm I'm also a very delicate flower. Yeah, you are. (laughs) And, and, um, but because I was like, quote, one of the boys, like I had to do this kind of nonsense. And I was just like, oh, I'm like, oh, 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 it's awful. It's probably one of the worst jobs I ever had. I mean, I still had a good time and I, and I really liked the people that I, that I worked for. They were really nice people. Um, it was definitely an experience, but as far as like actual job duties go, it was pretty fucking gross. I'm totally picturing you dressed up as Mrs. Doubtfire doing that. <laughs> I can re-see the movie Gangs of New York with Q the Butcher in the that, that role. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Good times, good times. <laughs> Then we've talked about terrible jobs. We've you know done all sorts of stuff. 
Rock on, uh, we're getting kind of close to the end of our time. Anybody got to have any recommendations? Uh, Todd, you got any recommendations? Um, I started reading Northlanders again. It's by Brian Wood. Um, it takes place in the Viking era, and it uh, alternates between longer and shorter stories, and it's just kind of awesome. So, yeah, this one is about as opposite as it can get in the way. It's really kind of like a dark and gritty version of Prince Valiant. So, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Q, you have any recommendations? Uh, well, so I've started um, my Halloween costume uh, planning uh, because, you know, who doesn't start planning in because May? It's May yeah. um, so I've been going back. So I'm doing Scatterbrain, who is a member of the TechNet, who is our, uh, the uh, villains from Excalibur. So I've been going back and reading uh, my favorite um, Excalibur TechNet stories. Um, my favorite being. Um, when the TechNet, because they're just like these lost idiots, like they're just all so dumb, um, that Nightcrawler sort of turned them into his own N-Men instead of X-Men, and uh, it, once again, hilarity ensues. There's a horribly racist joke there, too. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Um, but it was, Scatterbrain is um, this mute character, which is obviously the complete opposite of me. Like, she just, she actually just doesn't, doesn't speak. Um, but, uh, She's, she's super fun, and her powers are to um, literally expand someone's consciousness throughout the entire multiverse and, you know, um, the entire reality, which obviously hurts. Um, so, so, anyway. What, what Jean Grey did in the Dark Phoenix saga. Yes, yes. Mastermind. Um, but that's all Scatterbrain does. And um, she also feeds off the emotions of people. So, like, when people are angry, she's just sort of, like, hovering around them, like, trying to, like, feed off their emotions. But anyway, so I've, I've, I've been reading lots of uh, old um, Claremont and Alan Davis uh, Excalibur stories. Always, always fun. Fantastic. Adam, you have no recommendations? Uh, so I, I don't know exactly when this will fall uh, as far as our schedule. Uh, this, I think, comes out on Memorial. No, wait a minute. Hold on, I can tell you. I will edit this out. This will drop, theoretically speaking, on the 30th of May. Okay, so, uh, you know, this just came out then on Friday was X-Men Apocalypse. Uh, so, uh, even though I've got some issues with the movie and, uh, you know, didn't rate it as highly as Civil War, uh, I will definitely say that it's a fun X-Men movie. Uh, it does some really cool moments. Uh, it gave me something I've waited 20 years to see on the big screen that had me giggling like a schoolgirl uh, and jumping up and down on my seat. So uh, it, I know it's kind of getting bashed on Rotten Tomatoes, but ignore them. They're just people who don't know how to have fun. Uh, there's some cool moments, and goddamn that Quicksilver scene. Um, can I, Can I mean, once again, we can edit this out if it's a huge spoiler or something, but please tell me that Psylocke says that her psychic sword is the totalian, or oh, what does she always say? The, the total force of her psychic abilities. I don't remember. It's it's, it's it, the problem with Psylocke is that she literally has three lines. Oh, of course. Um, and we were talking on board as hell about her boob window in her costume. <laughs> well, because obviously they, they couldn't have her be like it couldn't be like a thong, so they had to show more skin somewhere. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's funny because Olivia Munn had had mentioned that I think even you mentioned it too, Q, that she was thinking about auditioning as. Deadpool's girlfriend, mm -hmm. and then thought, no, I want to be a movie where I can just kick ass and not have too many lines and just be a badass. And she does get to do that. 
uh, it's just it's kind of like how Famke Jansen was Phoenix in X3 and she kind of walked around in the days and didn't do anything until like the last tw- like five minutes that's kind of how this movie is with the horsemen and apocalypse um, it's again it's, it's kind of wasted opportunity but it's a lot of fun Longtime fans will have a lot to enjoy um, so please go see this movie because it's really cool Hey, Q, because I'm a little less familiar about it, is is Apocalypse an actual X-Men storyline? And if so, like, who wrote it and uh, what's well, it about? I mean, roughly? He's, he's an old, long-going character. Um, some of his more popular story arcs are, like, his original Horseman um, from the original X-Factor series. Um, uh, what's her name? Wheezy. Louise S- Simonson. Is, is it Simonson? Anyway, I'm ter- I'm terrible at like remembering comic book ca- creators' names because, of course, if I can't pronounce them, I just make up my own pronunciation <laughs> in my head. Um, uh, but uh, she, so that was like his original um, appearance as the in the original X Factor. Um, Age of Apocalypse is obviously a very big and very popular. It's his biggest, story. his biggest thing he's known from, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he's had a, a couple of the twelve was another big apocalypse story, which was just so disappointing because the 12 is a story that also, once again, was first hinted at back when apocalypse was first introduced and they just fucking ruined it as far as I was concerned. Um, in the in, it was the late 90s, I think is when that was, um, to sort of tie into the end of the world being the year 2000. Um, gotcha. But yeah, I think Age of Apocalypse and then his original um, thing would be two like big apocalypse stories. Yeah. Okay. I was just kidding, like, cause I was not familiar with him as a character. I didn't know if it was a storyline, um, and so I was just kind of curious about that. Since you know we do have the X Men expert with us. So. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think if I have any good recommendation. I, well, this is a weird recommendation, but it has been the most awesome thing ever. If you do not have the Panera app on your phone. <laughs> I know. It's such a fact <laughs> tendency thing. You are so white. So no, but, white. Okay. But, but here's the deal. I'm just going to say this. The food where I work for employees is shit. Like, it is terrible and it's expensive and you're like, why am I paying for this crappy food? A Panera just opened up close enough that you can clock for lunch and if you use the app and order it, it takes them 10 minutes to pick it up. So you order the app, clock for lunch, walk out the door, walk there. They have what they call rapid pickup. You can just grab your food and walk back out and then be back on property in time to clock back in from the end of your lunch. Like, it is perfect. It is beautiful, and I have been utilizing it a lot. So I know it's the whitest thing ever, but it has made my week a miracle considering how You're fucking so crazy so what working on it. Yeah, well, you know, I do that. practice and stuff. I live in Orange County, man. What do you expect? So, um, rock on. Uh, does anybody else have any final thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, things better left unsaid? I'm good. I like vodka. <laughs> My lips are still numb. <laughs> You're lucky, husband. <laughs> okay, well, that'll do it for this one, and I will press the stop. Hey, that'll about do it for this week's episode of the Funny Books and Firewater podcast. Once again, if you like what you hear... We are on uh, the social medias all over the interwebs, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, Tumblr, 
Um, and then uh, also uh, from our website, you can find recip- drink recipes. You can find uh, occasional reviews on speakeasies. Um, hopefully, we'll have some other things there. Um, also, there is a contact page if I want to send us any messages. www.funnybooksandfirewater.com. Next week, we are discussing from 2003. Uh, the writers Mark Millar, Dave Johnson, and Killian Plunkett uh, are bringing us a uh, three-part prestige comic. As fancy pants as that sounds, um, we're going to be reading Red Sun, a tale I can sum up very quickly for you. The concept is the Earth keeps turning, so instead of Superman landing in Kansas, he lands 12 hours later on Earth, which ends up putting him somewhere in the Ukraine, and he becomes a Cold War icon of the USSR and is uh, not an American hero, and then, of course, Lex Luthor uh, still has to do battle. Um, so yeah, we will discuss that next week. But until then, please support your local comic shop, and don't forget to tip your bartender. <laughs>